Welcome or welcome back to the Bridge Churches podcast, where we are committed to building irresistible bridges between the unchurched and Jesus Christ. We are so glad that you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. What in the wordle was that? I mean, what does wordle even have to do with church? Believe it or not, more than you think. And we'll get to that in just a few moments. But before we do, I want to just take a moment and thank you for being with us today. And as you heard, beginning next week, you'll have the opportunity to be with us in person at our Canada campus. And we're super excited about that. But if you don't join us in person, you can join us online. Either way, whichever option you choose, we're looking forward to being with you. And next week, I'm going to be beginning a brand new series called Roller Coaster, which, let's be honest, isn't that what our lives are like these days? A roller coaster? Well, in this series, we're going to be talking about how to maintain hope amidst the ups and the downs of life, and I hope that you'll join us for that beginning next week. But between now and then, what I want to do today is I want to take just a few moments to talk about something very specific as it relates to your spiritual journey. I want to talk about a practical step that you could and we think you should take as you mature and grow in your faith. And as we talk about this today, I want to preface it by saying that when it comes to faith, when it comes to our spiritual lives, better yet, your spiritual life, the key thing to remember, and this is a tension or trap that a lot of Christians fall into, but the key thing to remember is that the essence of faith is relational, not ritual. Relational, not ritual. That as we look at our lives, our faith, and what it means to be a Christian, what it, what it means to actually be a disciple and to actually follow Jesus, the key is recognizing that true faith in Jesus hinges on a personal relationship with him, not just a belief system in him. And this is a really important distinction for each of us to understand, and I bring it up today specifically in light of what I want to talk about today, because it's possible for us to partake in something that is intended to be a relational experience and treat it more as a ritual. And in doing so, we can miss the point of it completely and miss out on its true essence, intent, purpose, and ultimately, its power. That the things we do at church, the things we encourage you to do in your life, these recurring things we do week to week, and the specific things we do, they're relationally driven, not just rituals that we perform or partake in. Take the offering, for instance. Okay, If you've ever been to an in-person service at church more than once, you know, right, you know that at some point an offering plate or bag is going to be passed around because churches were known for potlucks, gossip, and offerings. Just count on it, okay? Well, maybe not the gossip thing, hopefully. But the interesting thing is, while you may see the offering portion as normal or a common thing to happen, that portion of our time together has the potential to become nothing more than a ritual. And for some, it can actually be something that they have no understanding of or context for. Years ago, when I was the worship arts pastor here at the church, my niece visited us from New Brunswick over the Easter weekend. I think she was about 10 years old at the time, and she had no real reference point for what she experienced here that weekend. She came to the church for an Easter egg hunt on the Saturday, and she left so excited. She left with more candy than she'd ever had in her life. She attended the next morning for service that day, and for me, it was just another day at the office. But for her, for her, she thought she'd just been to her first concert. After a few songs, the time came to take up the offering. I was on stage playing the guitar, and I was looking out as the bags were being passed, and I happened to look over to where my family were sitting. The bag went down the aisle, and it got to Sierra, my niece, and when it got to her, it stopped. She was confused. She had no idea what was happening or what to do. 
I watched her look around and then look down at the bag and then she looked around again and then she reached her hand in and she took out what looked to be a 50, which I was like, hey, good pull, go for the red one, right? My friend Paul was sitting close and he saw all this take place and I saw him laugh and I was laughing. I mean, here was my sweet niece, innocent, profitable, but unsure of what was happening. She was surrounded by people who were sitting in normalcy, but perhaps, perhaps they were just as confused as to what was happening without even knowing it. You see, here's the deal. The offering portion of a service is intended to be a relational expression, not a ritualistic practice. Yes, it has practical implications. Yes, what happens in those moments helps us pay the bills and keep the ship afloat. But at its core, at its essence, it's a relational expression that has practical implications. And yet for many of us, if not all of us, the offering portion of a service speaks more to our experience than our understanding of the Bible or our personal study of the Bible. I mean, who has the time or the desire to do a biblical study on the offering? (laughs) Very few of us, I'm sure. So it's our experience that drives how we view that. In fact, your views on the things we do or don't do, the things you think we should or shouldn't do, I'm going to guess that upwards of 90% of those views are shaped more by the church you were or weren't raised in than it does from biblical knowledge or understanding. That is to say, if we were to do an online service during our time together today, there are different reactions and responses to a lot of the things we do in church, and more often than not, they're an emotional response connected to a certain experience. The truth is we all view the things we value through the lens of our experience and our emotional connection to that experience. Take music as an example. I love music, but in church, many people use the words worship and music synonymously. But true worship is actually so much more than music. For many, our views on worship is connected to the style and environments we were exposed to. The styles we gravitate to are the ones that are familiar to us, and the songs we love, they're the ones that we hold an emotional connection to. And see, it's easy, and this happens to me, it can happen to all of us, but we can easily lose the relational component of those expressions, and we can get easily caught up and swept up in the ritual of it. It's true of the things we do every week here, things like offerings and music, and it's true of specific moments as well, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. Today, I want to take a few moments and talk about a relational expression of faith called baptism. Now, depending on your experience in the church you were brought up in, many of us view baptism differently because of our experience. That maybe for you, you view who should be baptized and when they should be baptized and what baptism is and what it does. You view all that in a certain way. And if you happen to find yourself in a different context, you probably aren't really sure how to react. And maybe your emotions get stirred up when your view on what's happening is challenged. Now, for others, it may be completely different. Maybe you didn't grow up in church. And like my niece, this is all new to you. And so when you see someone get baptized or as you hear me talk about it, it, you know, you get that it's a religious thing to do, but yet it makes absolutely no sense to you why we'd still do such a thing or why we would take the time to talk about such a thing all these centuries later. But see, what I want you to understand today is that the reality is baptism is an incredibly important thing. And if done properly and at the right time, baptism has the ability to be an incredibly powerful thing because at its biblical essence, its intent is to be a personal step in the timeline of a relationship. It's relational in nature, not simply a ritual. It's important because Jesus commanded us to do it. In the Gospel of Matthew, one of the books that chronicles the life and ministry of Jesus, in Matthew we find Jesus speaking to his closest friends shortly before he's about to leave the earth. 
He's telling them a lot of important things. And then he says, therefore, in light of everything I've just told you, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, if you were about to leave those you love the most, my guess is your last words would reflect what's most important to you, right? So in Jesus' final words to his disciples, we see that to him, baptism is important. That Jesus told them to do it. He told those in church leadership to do it. So it's important. It's also important because Jesus himself was baptized. And it's also important because of what it means for us as individuals who are following him. To show you what I mean by all that, I want to look at a short portion of scripture in Matthew and then another in the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church. And then I hope to tie it all together. But before we do that, let me take just a few moments and set the stage for what we're about to read. And in order to do that, I'm going to ask you to use your imagination. Can you do that for me? Okay. Pretend you're a man living in the first century. You got it? Good. Now, here's your background. Here's your motivation. Your mother is Greek and your father is Roman. You were raised in a culture that was all about the Greek gods. There was Zeus and Athena and Shu, just to name a few, and I'm a poet and I don't even know it, but all these different gods, okay? Now, your family moved to Jerusalem to do business because you're a merchant. That's what you do. So you move there and you begin to rub shoulders and do business with all these different types of Jewish people. Now, because you're a Roman citizen with a Greek background, you don't really buy into the whole Greek mythology thing. It's just not for you. Maybe there's a Zeus, you know, maybe there's a shoe, maybe there's not, but it really doesn't matter that much, right? It really doesn't matter because it doesn't do much to affect your everyday life. And so you just continue to go about your business, your everyday life. You're not an overly religious person. And now you're working primarily in Jerusalem and doing business with Jews. And as you do, as you do, you begin to discover that these Jewish people believe that there's only one God, which is interesting. And it's new to you. They're an oppressed people. They're overtaxed. And yet they have this tenacious faith in this God that they call Yahweh. And the more of them you meet, the more amazed at how devout they are. You're just amazed. They're, they're committed in everything they do, whether it's family, faith, and being righteous. And the more time you spend around these people, the more intrigued you become. And so you begin, of course, you begin to ask them questions. That the idea of one God, it begins to make sense to you. That there's one God who created all that there is. It makes sense to you. And you even begin to read some of their literature that's translated in your language that you can read. Now, over time, you get to the place where you begin to have friends, right? Isn't that nice? You have friends, and you begin to ask your friends, is it possible for someone like me, a Gentile, is it possible for me to become Jewish? I mean, don't tell my parents. They would freak out. But I've come to believe that there's just one God, one true, visible God who created us and everything. And you guys have figured this all out. So you ask your friends, and they tell you that that's above their pay grade, and you need to talk to someone about that. So they take you to the outer temple court, and they introduce you to some smart religious people who listen to your questions, and they respond by telling you that it is possible for you to convert to Judaism. And you're ecstatic. It's like, sign me up. I want to do that. I want to become Jewish. And they tell you, well, that's great. There's a number of things that you have to do, and we're going to start out with the most difficult one first. Part of the process for you is you're going to have to be circumcised. Suddenly, Zeus doesn't seem so bad, right? And you're like, uh, let me think, uh, what else you got? What else you got? Let me hear the list first. And they're like, well, you got to submit yourself to the law of Moses, which isn't a big deal for you because you've already been hearing and reading about that and you're for it. They tell you you're going to have to take a covenant meal. And you're like, well, great, I can do that. I love food. Good, okay. Well, then you're going to have to make a sacrifice at the temple as a Gentile. And you're like, I've seen that done. I, I can do that. Okay, good. We're tracking along here. The last thing is, you're going to have to do a ceremonial washing, 
where you will immerse yourself in a cistern of water, symbolically washing away your Gentileness and essentially illustrating you coming alive or your rebirth into Judaism. And you think, no problem, let's get, bust out the bath bombs, like let's do this, okay? Now, knowing that you're going to get grilled about this when you go home and talk it over with your family, you ask if they can write all this down for you so you don't, you know, you don't forget anything. So they bring aside a scribe who begins to put all this down for you, and when they get to the part about the ritual washing or bathing, the Greek word they would use there is baptizo, which means wash. It means dip, dunk, submerge, and in some cases the word's actually translated drown. Now, the word had no spiritual significance, but when you were told that you would need to be baptizoed, what you would understand in that moment is that you needed to bathe. So you're trying to become a Jew, and they're telling you that there are four or five things that you have to do, and that one of them is that you need to be ceremonially washed, which was symbolic of you being cleansed of your Gentile affiliation and your rebirth into the Jewish faith. So you're looking over the list and you're thinking, I don't know, man, that first one, it's kind of throwing me off, right? So you decide to go home and talk it over with your wife. Good idea. You head home and you find her down by the Jordan River doing some laundry and you start into the conversation by getting her up to speed. You're like, hey, honey, how you doing? Talk to some folks about us becoming Jewish today. And she's like, oh, that's nice, honey, how'd it go? And you're like, well, it's gonna be a lot easier for you than me, right? And no sooner do you start in before you hear this commotion further on down the river. And your wife tells you that that's been going on all day. So you focus in and you see this crazy guy on the edge of the water with wild hair and this huge beard, and he's just hooping and hollering. Now you're intrigued, so you decide to get a little closer to see what's happening and make out what he's all worked up about. And as you weave through the crowd, you hear this guy yelling, repent, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. He says, there's one who is coming that's greater than me, one whose shoes I'm not fit to tie. He's like, repent, repent, prepare the way of the Lord. You're like, wow, this guy's intense. And you turn to the guy beside you to find out what's going on. And he said that that guy's name is John. And then something you've never seen before happens. In fact, in history, no one had ever seen this before. This is actually the first recorded event of this happening in history. This John guy, he steps into the Jordan River, and we don't know how far, And people who were listening to him, they follow him into the water, and one by one, he takes them, and he physically washes them. Now, we don't know if he dunked them, if he splashed them, we don't know, but one by one, you watch this taking place, and you're starting to connect the dots. You're like, this is kind of what I just heard about. This is like that symbolic washing. These people, they're buying into this guy's message. Now, it isn't long before this guy is given a nickname because he's the first person to ever do this. They call him Johnny Dunker or John the Washer. Not really. Due to the way we've adapted the word into our English language, it's John the Baptizer. John the Baptist. It's not John is a Baptist like Mark the Methodist or Carol the Catholic. It's John the Baptist because that's what the word means. And John is the first person in recorded history to wash someone else. See, up until that point to do a ceremonial washing where you wash yourself, that was common. But the idea of someone washing someone else in this way, this was brand new. So there you are, you're taking all this in and it's amazing, you're captivated and suddenly John the washer turns towards you, he looks right at you and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He looks at you and he says, the one I've been talking about is here and your jaw drops and you're like, me. And no sooner do you mouth that word when you feel a hand on your shoulder that gently moves you aside and a man walks beside you and you hear people whisper to one another, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. 
You see, Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. John said, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, so why are you coming to me? Jesus gets down to the water and he tells John, no, you need to wash me. So they're going back and forth, back and forth, and you're watching this and you're thinking, how are they going to figure this out? Like, is it going to be, you know, like rock, paper, scissors? But Jesus said to John, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. You see, Jesus is affirming that it's important to publicly declare this connection. So John agreed to baptize him. John agrees and he washes Jesus in front of all these people he's been telling about Jesus. And after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son and he brings me great joy. This miraculous thing happens, and when it's over, Jesus gets out and he leaves with his entourage, and John stays and continues baptizoing and washing people. So Jesus moves on, and now his people are washing other people. Jesus doesn't do it, but his guys continue, and there are people all over being washed, which again was a brand new thing, even though they understood that it had religious implications and that it spoke to something significant. The story goes on that John the baptizer, he gets arrested and some of his followers, they get fired up and they're like, we got to take this thing national, right? It's like, we got to get out of here. We got to keep it going. We got to keep John's message going. So they leave Jerusalem and they head out into further parts of the world. And guess what they tell people? Get ready. Get ready. There's one who is coming. Get ready. They continue telling the same message that they heard John give, not realizing, not knowing. This is so sad that the one that John talked about, Jesus, he'd already been there. That Jesus came, is baptized, he ministered for three years, was crucified, buried, raised to life. He's gone on to the Father, yet these two don't know. They're halfway around the world preaching. He's coming, he's coming, and Jesus has already left the building. So some years go by, and along comes a man named Paul. We reference him a lot around here, partly because he was the godfather of the early church and also because he wrote a significant portion of the New Testament. But Paul comes to faith in Jesus, and guess what he does? He gets washed, because that's what you did. And after being washed, he begins proclaiming the message of Jesus. Years later, he runs into these two guys who are preaching John's message, He hears them preaching, and so he pulls them over, and he says, hey, guys, where did you hear that sermon? And they're like, John the Baptist, right? They tell him all about it. They're like, we were baptized by John, and we've taken his message as far as we can go. And Paul's like, oh, guys, guys, come here. i got to catch you up. He's already come. He was here. He taught. He did miracles. He was crucified. He was raised to life. Paul told them John's baptism called for repentance of sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. And as soon as they heard this message from Paul, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. See, these guys were washed by John the Baptist and they took off sharing his message. But when they heard of what Jesus had done, they were rewashed in order to align themselves publicly with what they heard from Paul, this new message. And that, that's what the Bible says about baptism, that baptism is a public declaration of a new association. It's a public declaration of a transition of followership, a new association, a new identity. 
See, when you go on Facebook and you see all those Wordle posts, the people posting that are publicly declaring that they went to a website, hopefully not during work hours, but that they went to a website and they spent time trying to solve a puzzle and finally they did and because they did, they want you to know. So they publicly declare it so that you know who's playing that game because of their public declaration of it. They're publicly declaring their association with that game. And them doing so, it attracts you, it attracts others, and Wordle wants that because it spreads the word about Wordle. So when you were a Gentile and you wanted to become a Jew, what did you do? You were baptized or washed as a means of going public, that you were leaving your association with your Gentile background, and that you were now associating and living out a new beginning as a follower of the Jewish faith. When John the Baptist, when he stood in the Jordan River and was baptizing or washing those who came into the river, what is it he was doing? He was helping those people go public with the fact that they were now associating with him and what it was that he was teaching. And see, that's why Jesus refused to baptize John and instead insisted that John baptized him. Because when Jesus went into the water allowing John to baptize him, what is it that he was saying to the people around them in that moment about John? See, it was an affirmation of John and Jesus' way of saying that what John was preaching was the truth. It was his way of saying, I am publicly associating. I am identifying myself with John and with his message. Later on, when people were baptized by the disciples, what are the people who enter the water saying? They're saying, I'm going public with this new association with Jesus. That I'm not ashamed to be associated with these people preaching or their message. That my identity is now marked by this washing and this association. And see, this was so important in those days. It was so significant. And ever since Jesus has left the earth and we can no longer be physically identified with Jesus, baptism has become that much more important as it's the way we physically and publicly proclaim our association with Jesus. It's a relational expression, not simply a ritual that we practice. That being baptized today, it reflects our heart and our lives being given to not just the teachings and the message of Jesus, but the person, but Jesus Christ himself. And the symbolism of the water is entering the water. It identifies you with the death of Christ, the death of your sinful past. And the coming out of the water is symbolic of identifying with Christ's resurrection and your new life and identity in him. It's an incredible, powerful, and personal step in the timeline of a relationship, that you are on a relational timeline with Jesus, and each of us are in different places on that timeline, but it's not about who's further. It's about where you are in your relationship with him and what happens next for your relationship to move forward. Maybe for you, maybe you've been baptized, and if you have, that's amazing. I'm so thankful for that, and I hope that today has reminded you why you chose to be baptized in the first place, and that our time together reminds you that baptism is not an isolated event, but a step in your relational timeline with Jesus. Maybe for you, maybe you were baptized, but maybe you did it for the wrong reasons. Maybe it was a ritualistic thing you did because of the way in which you were raised, That for you, yes, you were baptized, but it was a ritual you took part in, not a symbol of a relational association. If that's you, I would encourage you to consider being baptized again. It's not a have-to thing, but as you consider it, maybe for you it becomes a a want-to thing. That maybe for you, baptism, you think, I want that declaration to speak to something personal and relational. So maybe for you, maybe take some time and consider being baptized again. 
Maybe for you, maybe you've been following Jesus for years. You've been following him for years, but you've never been baptized. And maybe that's for a number of different reasons. Maybe your church experience didn't teach about it much, or maybe you didn't fully understand it at the time. Or maybe for you, maybe you've just been a Christian for so long, you're like, at this point, what's the point? And I get that. But I want to encourage you, because Jesus expressed its importance and modeled it to us as something God desires. I would encourage you, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, I would encourage you to take the step of baptism and go public with your association with Jesus. We've all been to weddings, right? We've all been to weddings and we all connect to a wedding on different levels. But see, there's nothing inherently magical or spiritual in the ceremony itself, but there is beauty and power in taking that relationship public. And the desire to go public and affirm that new identity, it speaks to the value of the relationship. And see, that's the power that baptism holds. It reflects the confidence in the relationship. It marks a specific moment in time where one's relationship with Christ is so real and so strong that the desire to take that relationship public is a natural step. So... As we close today, if this has resonated with you and you want to be baptized, or if you're going to consider getting baptized again, we're having a baptism on Sunday, May 15th. And I would encourage you to take the first step to that step by going to bridgechurches.ca slash follow. There you can register for baptism and we'll be in touch with you personally to talk more about it and answer any questions that you may have. But before we go, I just feel like there's someone out there watching today, and maybe this is you, and you aren't sure that you're associated with Jesus. Maybe you've never gotten to the place in your spiritual journey, the timeline of your relationship where you've opened the door of your heart and committed your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never accepted the gift of God's grace made possible by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And if that's you, I'm so thankful that you're here. And today I want to encourage you to consider doing just that. That whoever you are, wherever you are, and no matter the reasons why you think Jesus wouldn't accept you, I'm here to tell you today that he does. And he proved that by sacrificing himself on the cross with you in mind, knowing all the things in advance, knowing all the things that you think would cause him not to accept you. So wherever you are today, I would invite you to open your heart and ask Jesus to enter. And to do that, it is a simple prayer that has significant implications. And so if that's you, I would invite you right now, wherever you are, I would just invite you to close your eyes and bow your head. There's nothing magical or mystical, or it doesn't make prayer work to close your eyes. It simply removes the distractions that might be around you. And in the quietness and safety of this moment, I would invite you to open your heart by praying. You can just repeat after me or or use your own words, but something along these lines, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this moment in time. And I thank you for this moment where I want to acknowledge that I am a sinner. The Heavenly Father, I have lived my life my way. And in doing so, I recognize that I have sinned against you. Yes, I've sinned against myself. I've probably sinned against a lot of other people, but ultimately my sin is against you. And yet you still made a way for me to be connected with you and you gave your one and only son, Jesus, as a way to make that possible. So in this moment, I acknowledge my sin and I want to ask you to forgive me. And I recognize that forgiveness is possible because of who Jesus is and what Jesus did and all that he is today. And so in this moment, I open the door of my heart and I want to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And I want to commit the rest of my life to understanding what this means for me and how I live my life moving forward. 
I recognize that there are implications I don't understand yet, but I want to commit the rest of my life to understanding what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I thank you. I thank you for the gift of your son. And I thank you that because of who he is, I can in this moment know that I'm not only saved, that I will spend eternity with you, but I can discover meaning and purpose from this moment on and for the rest of my life. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know who prayed that prayer, but I just believe with all my heart that there is someone out there that needed that moment today. And if that's you, I want you to know I am so thankful you're here and I'm so proud of you of taking that step in your timeline with Jesus. What I would encourage you to do right now is you can head over to bridgechurches.ca slash follow and there you're gonna find a number of things about next steps for you and your spiritual journey. And one of the things you can do is reach out to us here at the church. There's a place on our website, connect, and you can connect with us. Just send us a note and I wanna talk to you personally. I'll call you, whatever we need to do, Zoom call, you name it. But I wanna connect with you and talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus and what it looks like and how we can help you. So please do those things today. And for everyone out there today, thank you for joining us. I hope that no matter where you are in your timeline with Jesus, I hope that you will consider being baptized or consider being rebaptized. I would love to be a part of that with you. And you can also head over to bridgechurches.ca slash follow. And there you can sign up and register for our May 15th baptism. Well, we're going to close today and send it back over to the band. But before we do one last thing, I want to encourage you to come back next week, whether it's with us in person at our Canada campus, registration is open, or join us online. Either way, next week we're going to talk about the roller coaster of life and how you can have hope as you ride it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We ask that you would go with us, and Father, that you would guide us and direct the steps of our lives. That, God, you would watch over us and affirm each one of us, no matter where we are in our timeline with you, that you would remind us that we are loved, that, God, you know, that, God, you care, and that, God, you can be trusted. We thank you that we have the ability to connect together in this way, and I pray, Father, that you would use this time to speak to people in the ways that they need to hear, ultimately, from you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. If you have any questions, you're looking for ways to take your next step, please visit us on our website, bridgechurches.ca. Much love. God bless.